Welcome to the Gatecast. Presented by Alan and Mike. Lucy, I'm home. I am not Lucy. Oh, you're right. We'll just upload a computer virus into the mothership. I was going to do my living room like this. Well, so my recommendation is that anyone attempting to leave the mountain should be shot on sight. Hello, good evening, and thanks to my slight obsession with Ingress, a somewhat delayed welcome to the Stargate Season 10 wrap-up and the final season wrap-up that we'll be doing for this particular show. And we have our recurring... I, I think we should promote to co-host at this point, Mike. Mm, no. No? <laughs> Financial responsibility comes with co-host. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, he is, sending, he is uh, contributing hardware. To you. <laughs> Fair enough. You've done okay out of this podcast. <laughs> you currently sent me a PS3 remote. Yeah, that's what I mean. Which I'm still using to this day. Right then, good evening everybody. Yep, welcome to the Season 10 SU1 Wrap-Up Show. And Bradley's going to join us again. How are you doing, Brad? Hello guys, pleasure to be here once again for uh, End of an Era. Yeah, very much so. As Alan says, this will be our final season wrap-up show, but we are planning to do a series wrap-up sometime in the future at this time, I think we're looking at maybe a, a December seasonal bonus show because mm-hmm. it may need that long to plan. <laughs> it might take me a year to actually write out all the episode titles for a poll for a start. <laughs> Pick your favourite out of uh, 200 plus. <laughs> Let me guess. Window of opportunity. <laughs> well, that's a given. I'm not saying it's predictable, but... Well, I was a bit torn with this season. It was a lot closer for me than it was for Atlantis. They diverted at times. They strayed from the path. Oh, they weren't following Origin. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming that's what he was referring to. I think it was necessary to pick up on it. I've started on Arrow now. Three episodes into that. Season one? Yep. Wow. That hooked me straight away. The fact that this isn't superhero, the comic hero who just shoots people in the leg and ties them up. If necessary, he will kill people. Yeah, first person he meets, he kills. Yeah, you go. There's no walking in there. It's pretty much as soon as he's back from the island, he's in the... You know who I am. Yeah. Now, in some later episodes, we're starting to see where the bow on that may have come from. Finished Daredevil last night. I started Daredevil. Ah. (laughs) Won't go any more into it then. Yeah, a number of podcasts that I listen to, you know, their series have finished. They're looking for some over the summer, and a lot of them are doing uh, Daredevil. So I thought I'd better watch it, otherwise I'll have nothing to listen to. Mm. Only seen three episodes so far. Yep. I'm almost in holiday mode. I just have to... Oh, I got my finished driver's license. Well, just as you're leaving. Well, no, I applied for it because my other license was due to expire the end of May. I'm not back in Ireland until the end of August. And finished driver's licenses are issued for 15 years, not 10. I don't intend being Ireland for longer than 12 months. Last season, the citizens of Chester's Mill were blinded by the light. A wall opened up and a butterfly to fight. Julia and Junior are trapped across a ravine. Big Jim is closing in, and Melanie is alive? Only Wayne and Troy at the Under the Dome radio podcast can help you figure out What in the hell is going on here? Tune in this summer to Under the Dome Radio. Shall we get going then? Uh, yeah, we must well jump straight in now. I don't know if we all want to look at the, the same page for our information as opposed to last week when... The dates were varied. Have you got a link there to what you're looking at? 
I'm on stargate.wikia.com. Is that what you're on, Mike? I'm on a different page. I'm on Flesh and Blood, season 10, episode 1. Probably out. Okay, then. Episode 1, which is part 3 of 3, I assume. Flesh and Blood. Air July 14th, 2006, written by Robert C. Cooper, directed by William Waring. His name's popping up a lot. Season opener. What did we think? Continuation from Crusade and Camelot in season 9. Yeah, this is where we see many variants of Adria. <laughs> Rapid growth. Yep. Freaky eyes. Uh, young Emma Rose, who was uh, Rob C. Cooper's daughter. Brenna O'Brien and Jodel Furland, who is probably the most well-known of the three. She will be starring in Dark Matter. Yay. Oh, I must keep an eye out for the next season of Defiance, assuming it's not dead. Yeah, a bit of a surprise for Vella, you know. <laughs> she got knocked up and delivered within a few <laughs> weeks. <laughs> Puts a bit of a strain on the body, that does. Mm. Prior kind of wafted in, took the baby. Hello, Dolly, all right. Off he went. Yep. <laughs> mine now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll send you the bill. Yeah. Don't worry. I know someone it happened to. She was seeing a doctor for six months for stomach problems, and he finally did a basic blood test, and... I get what you mean. Six weeks later, she had the baby. I'm sorry, all I was thinking when you said, I know somebody that happened to, I was thinking, what, they nicked the baby? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was actually nine weeks, but it was like in the vicinity of, or slightly less than two months from, you're pregnant to, here's your kid. Oh, right. Normally the father's got plenty of time to, you know, paint the spare room and put together the crib. A lot of blokes in that situation would panic, you know, as in, uh, you go from your girl's friend's pregnant and this is June and, oh, when's she due? Early August. Of course, Toman. He didn't bat an eyelid. You know, it, it was the will of the Ori. Good enough for him. Yep. <laughs> I'll still kneel. <laughs> it was a blessing for him. You know, it was uh, A, that didn't execute his wife. Mm-hmm. And he got a cushy job as a father, or at least parental unit, of the Orisai. Yeah, but how much actual input did he have to the Orisai? Probably very little. I think he got a little bit of practice beforehand. Valor isn't the uh, shy and retiring type, if she needs to play a part. Mm. Not a bad opener. No, we got the big shot of Sam floating in space <laughs> after the decimation of our fleets. Poor Chekhov. Mm. Went out with a bang. Yeah. Yeah. You've got command of fantastic starship. Ooh. Brand new. It gets blown up on the first time out. <laughs> the paint's not, not even good. dry. It's a good job he didn't survive, because I think he'd be end up in a gulag somewhere. Mm. So we've got Ori warships here. Go after Chulak. Yeah, and in the end, it's kind of a bit of a suicide mission. You know, Braytac is pretty much convinced that the only way to destroy it is to actually ram <laughs> ram a ship into one. Because it always works. Yeah. Point out they've got pretty darn good shields. I note on the page, during Mitchell's rescue of Carter, the schematic displays of a BC-303, despite the fact that the Odyssey is a 304. Well, that's just careless, isn't it? Somebody should be psyched for that. Using the Odyssey to pick Carter up. <laughs> yeah, just float there. We'll do all the work. Taxi! Yeah. Can you slow down a bit? Um, this is as slow as the ship will go. How fast is it going? About 200 miles an hour. Yes, you should be at the back of the bay on the wall. There's a reason why they thought having Asgard transporters into the Earth ships was a good idea. Until the array gets knocked out. Yeah, true. I'd say, though, a decent opener for the season. Plenty of action, some drama, the growth of the Orisai. Not quite fully matured yet, but certainly creepy. Yeah. Like, you almost feel sorry for Tomin. Mm. Although, you know, he does tend to use up all the goodwill he gained over the next few episodes. He's a religious fanatic. I'm not subtle with my opinion about such people. 
And I don't think the writers of the show have been particularly... <laughs> A little more subtle than Game of Thrones at the moment, in terms of religious dogma and the enforcement of. Yeah, starting to wonder when will the Head Sparrow start calling himself Putin. Right then, flesh and blood did not get any votes. I don't think the opener really does get that many votes. People just don't think of it as part of the current season. It's a sort of sad little wrap-up show. That's what's happened the last couple of seasons. It has been a part three. Right then, episode two. Morpheus. First aired July the 21st, written by Joseph Melozzi and Paul Mully, directed by Andy Mikita. And in this episode, we got a guest appearance by Patrick Gilmore, who later went on to play Dale Volker in Stargate Universe. Hmm. It was part of Daniel uh, Jackson's search for the Sangral. Yes. Uh, yeah. The MacGuffin search. Yeah, very much so. They found a deserted village. Well, not quite deserted. There were bodies, but they'd been dead for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Looked like they just laid down and fell asleep. Yeah, I was going to say, a bit like the Supernatural episode where the family were all sitting in front of the TV, slowly being mummified. Wasn't that just an acceleration? I don't know that episode. I'm assuming I haven't seen it. Anyway, they're on this planet, Vagombre. They find all these uh, decomposing bodies, some sort of sleeping sickness, and they discover it's a parasite and that gets into the bloodstream. Very, very small, but starts to grow over time. Was this the episode where Tilt, or is it Cameron, goes looking for a lizard in the yeah, cave system? Yeah, and it uh, wraps up pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it does a bit. It's not the greatest episode, to be honest, and they do this sort of claustrophobic episode so much better in later in season 10. Mm-hmm. And Atlantis does it even better. Yeah. <laughs> much, much better. Atlantis, in fairness, probably had larger standing sets, which lets you do low-cost episodes. Well, they reused this set a couple of times. Oh, yeah, the village that got mm-hmm. built specifically for season nine onwards, so they did make a lot of use of it. Writing it differently. Although you see the village set again, you start to feel like the people in the... I think, was it the first time they used the village set with the uh, drink, with the shrinking dome of protection? No, no. Camelot. Yeah, yeah. the Aura village set. Hundreds of thousand dollars investment, but as I said, they were going to use it for a dozen episodes. It all paid off. Hmm. A village set from the cost of a season of... Thankfully, I've actually forgotten the name of it. It's sort of the ultimate... In cheap, nasty television. Oh, yes. It's come back to me. And I'm assuming it's poisoned Australian airwaves as well. Deal or no deal. <laughs> yes, Brad has clearly heard of it. Not a lot to say about Morpheus. I were tempted to vote for for Valor's sake. Well, let's mention what happens to Valor then, because nobody seemed to. Uh, the psychic evaluations. <laughs> yes, with uh, Mr. Woolsey, the horrible little man. I do like how she's trying to study for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the upside-down turtle. Gets everybody that does. Valor finally gets assigned to SG-1, which means she gets a salary. <laughs> but very few perks, unfortunately. Teox lived on base. The thing with Valor is she looks human. She probably could live off base. Aside from the fact yeah. that she probably can't be trusted as far as she can throw Teok. Yeah, I reckon she'd get up some shenanigans like her father does later on, selling moon dust and so <laughs> forth. I can't see Valor on an infomercial where I can see Valor walking is as a personal trainer. Or a motivational speaker or something like that. Deprogrammer? I was briefly tempted to vote for this because I like any Valor-centric episode. They tried to go for a bit more suspense, a bit more horror. I don't think it got there in the end. No, it didn't. And surprisingly, it did not get any votes. Episode 3, The Pegasus Project. Generally date the 28th of July 2006. Written by Brad Wright and directed once again by William Waring. And crossover episode. I'll spill the beans now. This is the one I voted for. Okay. (laughs) 
Yes, and Daniel finally gets to Atlantis. Yes, finally. He gets there, he gets to play, <laughs> check out the database and all that. And dislike about the episode is he spends the whole time in the, the hollow room talking to uh, Morgan. Yeah, to be fair, there was quite a lot going on in the hologram room. Mm-hmm. It's not as if he was just literally talking to a computer. Morgan Le Fay turned out to be a little bit more sentient than uh, we were led to believe. Mm. Yeah, well, we thought it was a computer. Well, we thought it was a uh, school teacher. That's pretty much like Daniel. And, well, it was, to be fair, it was Valor that really questioned it. Yeah. More than Daniel. She does look at things from a slightly skewed viewpoint. She's always looking for the edge, for the, the little chink in any offering. And she found it. That computer should not have been able to answer some of the questions they were giving it. What a coincidence. Exactly what they want. You have your answers, now I go. Yeah. Uh, we get that nice little fly-in when they finally get there. The thing landing? The Odyssey or is it Daedalus? I don't know, they blow up so fast, did they? One of them, yeah. <laughs> we get one of them come in for landing over the city. and you got to wonder why the exhaust, the downdraft, didn't shatter some of the windows. They're seen venting something as it landed. I would have thought they relied a lot on anti-gravity systems to offset the mass of the ship. I've always thought a ship that size lands on one of the piers and the whole city kind of tilts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it develops a slight camber. Yeah, this was a pretty big episode in scope. I mean, like you said, the Odyssey goes in search of a black hole and a stargate. The plan is to basically to lock down the super stargate by having a, a continuous connection to a stargate that draws its power from a black hole. Yep. Very, very complicated, very, very dangerous, and it doesn't help that both the Wraith and the Ori pay each up a visit. Mm. It gets very complicated and very messy very quickly. Indeed. Poor Tilk is hovering over the supergate in a cloak jumper, hoping, hoping the Ori starship doesn't see him. Yeah, because the Ori have, have been the... shown to penetrate cloaks before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they'd be able to pick out a, a cargo ship. Given the benefit of the doubt, perhaps, you know, Super Stargate gives off a lot of, uh, sure. you know, interference or radiation itself. So. Yeah, why, why the hell isn't Tilk glowing in the dark at this point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we get the Dr. Lee back with Twilight Bark. It's always a good yeah. scene. I mean, <laughs> yeah, everybody everybody looks blank. Uh, okay, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yes, we're with you. <laughs> nice. So, apart from Brad, did anyone else vote for this? Oh, yes. Six people voted for the Pegasus Project. That's not a winning number. Pretty decent. The poll wouldn't let me see how many votes there'd been when I did vote. Overall, though, Pegasus Project, pretty good episode. Good lineup of guest stars, as you said, a crossover episode. Don't really think you can go wrong when you get David Hewlett, Joe Flanagan... Who else have we got? Oh, yeah. Walter, of course. Mm. Yep. Yay, Walter. And we got a nice little bit with Joe giving Mitchell the lemon. So if he gets out yes. of control, just <laughs> put this in his face. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. There was some good writing in there. And uh, we got both teams together working. So, yes, it gets a little bit okay. The bombs aren't doing the job, so we'll time it even better and get a hive ship to explode at the same time <laughs> <laughs> to make the connection and take out a Ori ship. Yeah, it was a pretty good day. Finally. Everything seemed to work out. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. 
Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Experience Dune like never before. The Dune Saga Podcast with David, Scott, and Jim lead you chronologically through the novels of Frank Herbert, Brian Herbert, and Kevin J. Anderson. Relive your favorite moments, join in the conversations, and let the spice expand your universe. The Dune Saga Podcast. Ride the sandworm to dunesagapodcast.com or to iTunes for more information. Right, episode four, Insiders, broadcast August 4th, 2006, written by Alan McCullough, directed by Peter F. West. Strange spelling, almost an English surname. I've heard him mentioned on the commentary, so I know how he pronounces it. Fine, fine. Like Desborough is pronounced Desborough, or Desborough, or Des, or something. Was this the episode we got Chris on for? No, this was me, sir. Ball fan. Mm-hmm. An episode with lots of balls. <laughs> yes, they're all in the one court. Yeah, a bit of a surprise when Outcash enters Earth's atmosphere and crash lands. I know the US government are good at covering things up, but surely some people must have seen that. That's a big ship. You see YouTube and uh, Twitter and everything light up when there's a you know a meteorite or something that grazes the atmosphere. And then, you know, everybody seems to have noticed the ship crashing in. Yeah. I assume the SGC has shares in Google. May have, you never know. It could be one of the many... Undercover operations, uh, the trust had developed something. Uh, someone's there in the background replacing the uh, sightings with cat videos. <laughs> we get the reveal, of course, as the camera pans around to the ambulance, the army ambulance. There's Bowl. Mm. A little bit worse for wear. A bit of a surprise, that is. Mm. And, of course, they have a discussion with him, and it turns out that, well, him and Katesh, they have history. Uh-huh. Ever so slightly. You just can't get enough valor. You couldn't get enough ball in this episode, either. <laughs> well, maybe Vala likes balls as much as the next woman. <laughs> I could go all night with this. Yeah, but you won't. <laughs> no, because I don't have all night. I mean, the beauty of this episode is that what Bal is offering up is totally believable because he is a slimy, backstabbing system lock. Yeah. You can believe that he'd turn on his own creations. Unfortunately, he happens to turn on the SGC instead. Oh, yeah. We have Mal- Agent Malcolm Barrett, played by Pete Fleming, Decent guy, we've seen him in episodes before. But what happens, he, he goes to interrogate the prisoner armed. Mm. Not a good idea. No. And of course, it turns out he had been brainwashed. Oopsie. The trust had been, well, we already knew the trust had been uh, compromised. The NID, they were as well. <laughs> Security, not so good. Nope. Compromised, pwned, and yep. all has an evil plan. Yep, the beauty of it, one bo- <laughs> <laughs> One one bowl can't be scanned. A lot of bowls all together. You can pick them up from orbit and beam them out. Yep. So they nick all the gate addresses that Sam's been working on, and they do a runner. Like it. As always, though, uh, Cliff Simon, fantastic on screen. Can't fault him one bit. Surprisingly, no vote. Oh, not even from me, sir. There may have been another bowl episode she voted for. Possibly. Episode five of season ten. Uninvited. Original air date, August 11th, 2006, written by Damien Kindler and directed by William Waring. This is the camping trip in a very well-appointed uh, cabin in the middle of the woods with easy uh, access for cars and vans of all description, <laughs> power, phones. It really wasn't much of a cabin. It was home away from home. 
<laughs> Unfortunately for Cameron, everybody else found a reason not to go. So just him and Landry. Yes. Yeah. Awkward, mostly. <laughs> With his duck impressions. Oh, the duck impressions. Oh, how Bo Bridges kept a straight face when he was doing that. <laughs> With his hat on mm. and everything. Poor Cameron. Poor Ben Browder. Yep. You want the earplugs. <laughs> I thought Ben was like RDA before him, an inveterate pranker. He might have been, but when the tables are turned, when you've got to keep the straight face and somebody else is allowed to pretty much do whatever they want. Yeah, we've got the, uh, is it a bit of an anti-hunting mess? Mm. I don't think so. Granted, a lot of hunters got killed, but that's their own fault for firing on stuff. They're not quite sure what it is. It went that way. We shot it. Unfortunately, Billy got killed. Well, Billy. Yeah, this was the actual camping trip. I think it was, again, the Compromise Trust and NID, although I think mostly the Trust in this case, that got their hands on a own and cloaking device, gave it to an operative who was going to spy on the meeting of SG-1, try to get some intel. Unfortunately, they found out that the Sodan device, as it phases people into a different dimension, has also allowed an alien life form to enter our dimension. Of course it has. Yeah, and when it kind of crawls inside you, it changes your DNA. Unfortunately, it changes your DNA into a great big sodding monster that rips everything apart. Nods to Predator? Yeah, you could you could say that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they didn't actually quote the direct, it bleeds, we can kill it, but it was a line they didn't say very loudly. Certainly was a lot of carnage and blood in the episode. And the uh, the armourers really earned the pay. There were some phenomenally good set pieces and cinematography in this episode. I think my greatest difficulty with this episode was not automatically typing the word the in front of the word in the title. <laughs> Just saying uninvited, it really begs the preposition. Special guest star for this episode was also Keegan Connor Tracy playing Dr. Redden. Unfortunately, we really didn't get much of Keegan in this series. She's currently playing the Blue Fairy in Once Upon a Time. She's also been in Bates Motel way back when, Jake 2.0. I don't think that's on Netflix, is it? I don't know. I haven't got Netflix. Might have aged a bit. You make a series based on cutting-edge computer science, and then 20 years later, it's not quite so cutting anymore. Five years later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's for another podcast. (laughs) Indeed. Brad's done. Yeah, it's sort of got the plot of any, or the, the a lot of B-movie, or even C-movie, directed DVDs out there. You'd know a few of them, Mike. Normally I'm always cheering on the monster. Just the awkwardness of the uptight employee having to uh, spend time with his boss. Not really something I wanted to see. But eventually, you know, all through the episode you've got Landry saying, you know, relax a bit, you know, <laughs> we're off base. And then the one time when... Things go a bit too far. He just stares at him. Yeah. Right, that's enough. <laughs> right, uninvited. No votes. Come try ya. Episode 6, 200, is the landmark episode where we get a bit of everything. <laughs> Original air date, August 18th, uh, 2006. Uh, written by Brad Wright, Robert E. Cooper, Joseph Malozzi, Paul Mully, Carl Binder, Martin Guerrero, and Alan McCulloch. And directed by Martin Wood. Most of our big namers there all put pen to paper for this one, which I'm guessing was for each vignette. I put mouse to pointer for this one. <laughs> yeah, I voted for this. Yep, I can see that. And we finally get the furlings. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although they did look a lot like Ewoks. Yeah. I still say one of my favourite vignettes in this was the uh, Thunderbirds one. The marionettes, yeah. That was, yeah. That was awesome. Uh, just through the stargate and then it cuts off and your man goes, oops. <laughs> yeah, and you get the, the tilt puppet. 
uh, Sam at the uh, the whiteboard, nor was it Daniel actually doing his equations. Puppets can't really draw to save their lives. <laughs> yeah, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel <laughs> the it was Daniel. Yeah. It was Sam who worked the keyboard. Mm. Yeah, doing the, the mad typing and finding <laughs> about wormholes and how the gate works. And, and they even got the reproductive organs <laughs> lined back in there. <laughs> uh, Richard Dean Anderson, of course, being in the episode or didn't, depending upon your point of yeah. view. <laughs> and Don S. Davis. Peter DeLuise made one of his customary uh, cameos. Yeah, did. Isaac Hayes as the uh, Tilt PI announcer. Who else but Isaac Hayes would do that? <laughs> Does look pretty impressive, you know, when he's all doled up. Yeah, we've seen before that he he can do it. So what else did we get? We got uh, the Farscape, Star Trek, uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, Zombies. Must have been a bit weird for Ben and uh, Claudia to do a Farscape party. In different roles as well. Yeah. Yachts, <laughs> says Thor. <laughs> <laughs> this was the episode that I wasn't on. I enjoyed it, obviously. I wouldn't have voted for it if I didn't. This was an episode I still watched, even though I wasn't going to be on the... Ah. <laughs> yes, but we get Martin Lloyd back again, which I don't think we've seen since the 100th episode. Probably. Mm. Uh, it also got nominated for a Hugo, Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form, and also an SFX Award for the Best TV Episode. Didn't win either. Oh. No Corin Nemec in uh, the episode. Oh. Corey Monteith made his second appearance on Stargate, playing the young Mitchell in the CW version of... Oh, God. <laughs> I know, that was, that was, oh, dear me. Wormhole Extreme. Pretty good episode, though. They went for it. It's just sit down and laugh yourself silly. Indeed. And 200 got 10 votes. Ooh, that could have been a winner. Yeah. Counter-Strike, broadcast day August 25th, written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, directed by Andy Makita, and... Now, these people are nice enough to embrace Origin, and they get wiped out anyway. Yep. Yeah, but not by the Ori, let's be fair. If you're worshipping them, they're not going to do anything to you. You know, they're pretty down with that. You know, that's all they want. They want your worship and your devotion. you got to wonder, did they lift the idea from Terry Pratchett? Or did Terry lift it from somewhere else, and they lifted it from the same place? The mythology of gods and goddesses and their power linked to the number of, the number of followers has been around for a long time. Yeah, I'm going to say back to ancient Greece. At its most basic, if you've got more followers than the other god, then your followers can kill the other god's followers. Yeah, you have an army army of followers. Yes, this was when the Jafar Council, being led by Sitak, played by David Andrews, took on a more aggressive approach using the the weapon at Dakara, which wasn't really a weapon as such. It was designed to seed life, a bit like the the Genesis device in Star Mm. Trek. Yeah, because that worked so well. But just like that, it could be twisted. They found the reverse witch. Yeah, that's only because Kirk Zorn actually used protomatter mm. in its design. <laughs> and we all know protomatter is unstable. Yes, of course we do. Convenient piece of techno babble for the purposes of plot. <laughs> yeah, the Jaffar really don't give a monkeys about civilians. You know, if they're on an alright planet, they are collateral damage. It doesn't really matter if they were captured, if they gave in, if they willingly bowed down, they're going to get slaughtered. Mm. And of course... The SEC, we've got to put our noses in. Well, it's an American military force. Gonna stop being political now. Oh, good lad. Yes, Adria, all grown up. We get, yeah, get our first look at the grown-up Adria. <laughs> oh, yes, Marina Baccarin. Didn't I say young? Uh, you probably did. If you didn't, we were all thinking it. <laughs> yeah, she survives the attack on the planet. Unfortunately, <laughs> the prior and everybody else don't. They left Ori's starship on the planet. So the SGC, SG-1 and the Jafar, kind of fighting over it. Yes. 
unfortunately, Adria kind of takes control. Kind of. If memory serves, <laughs> I came in about halfway through this for assorted reasons. Why is it you can remember that, but not when you're recording in a podcast? I'm just asking. I thought we were done. Alan, three years. No, I mean, I thought we were done till after my trip. <laughs> Focused on what to put in suitcases and finishing off that essay, because I don't get much work done in Ireland. I'll be too busy in Chrissy. Yes, this is where Adria plans a trip. She interrogates the Jafar, basically, you know, pretty much levitating them, reading their minds and everything, and learns that the weapon is on the Kara. She flies off. The Jafar think that the humans are betraying them. Accusations, contract accusations. The weapon gets totally obliterated. <laughs> and Brain Tech and the general escape at the last minute through the Stargate. <laughs> Pretty impressive episode. It undermines, even with some of the power of the ancients, the Ori are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hurt that the leader of your army is a hot chick in armour. Mm-hmm. Bail and do my bidding. But, but like Sif, really. Yes, very much so. I do like that Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actually got people from the movies to appear. It didn't hurt. Well, I imagine Sif would. We get our Jafar leader for the week. Not doing a good job. He is indeed. Play the game of Jafar leadership. If you lose, you die. Yeah, essentially. Right then, Counter-Strike got a single vote. Ah, bless. Wait from you. Nope. Come Right then, episode 8, Memento Mori. Aired September the 8th, 2006, uh, written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, directed by Peter DeLuise. This was an episode where, well, <laughs> Valorant and Daniel do not go out on a date. Mm-hmm. Let's underline that, it was not a date. Yep. <laughs> he took her to a fancy restaurant, but... Did he pay? Well, no, really, because she got kidnapped halfway through. Mm. Well, not even halfway through, right at the start, pretty much. <laughs> she got kidnapped by Athena, who was played by Sonia Saloma. Uh, a former acquaintance of Katesh, and, well, hey-ho, Katesh had betrayed Athena. Shocker, mm. isn't it? Yes, I think some of those traits wore off on the mail. Yeah, very much. Probing a mind, trying to learn some information that will unlock hidden treasure of secrets and booty. Well, SG-1 and SGC raid a load of the known trust safe houses and warehouses. In the middle of the firefight, Valor loses all her memories and ends up working at a diner. <laughs> I'll go with that. We'll just ignore the Ori advancing. And... <laughs> yeah, so we'll just... Actually, it wasn't a bad episode at all. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Of course, it was a lot of fun. Valor was in it. Yeah. Adrian Holmes guest stars as Detective Ryan, who tries to make sense of uh, Valor's tale. We have the... We get the fake Carter arriving at the police station to pick her up. And then we get Ben Browder doing his little motorbike trick. I would imagine the insurance would have been screaming and crying about it. Anyway, as you said, Cameron goes after... Valor in the uh, fake Air Force car. Kind of a small crash. Valor kidnaps Cameron, handcuffs him to a bed, <laughs> half naked. Let's everybody have fun. The uh, fanfic writers go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Look on everybody's faces when they burst into the room and there's uh, Cameron surrounded by half-eaten candy bars and naked on a bed. Well, American version of naked. Everybody's sensible version of naked. Except the writers of Game of Thrones. Anyway, eventually we get the big firefight in the warehouse. Zats versus uh, 9mm and uh, machine guns and Daniel and Valor heartfelt moment where he finally breaks through mind block and they embrace. Again, the fanfic writers go nuts. It's really a shipping episode when you come to think about it. Mm. But it wasn't a date. No. Nope. Make sure you understand that. <laughs> it was not a date. Daniel said it was not a date and we believe him. Nobody else did. <laughs> and I think Valor certainly didn't consider it just a dinner between friends. 
I go to lunch every time I'm in Dublin with my eight days and he pays. Does that mean it's a date? Oh, that's between you and him. <laughs> None of our business. Okay, Memento Mori got five votes. Respectable. Bravo fans. We are the Rusted Robot Podcast. Lower your shields and surrender your minds. We will add your MP3 recordings and opinion on Geekery to our own. We will adapt to embrace this culture. Resistance is futile. It's the Borg. Commander Adama, Cybermen, Daleks, and Cylons are fast approaching. Jump gates forming in multiple sectors, and the Doctor's nowhere to be found. What are we going to do? Tune into the Rusted Robot Podcast at therustedrobot.podbean.com and on the iTunes Store. Sean and Bridget Vanderloo's love for all things geekery and robots are our only hope. Oh, boy. Get rusted today. Robots. Cyborgs. Androids. Oh, my. Rusted Robot. Episode 9, Company of Thieves. Uh, air date, 15th of September 2006, written by Alan McCullough and directed by Will Waring, once again. And the Odyssey has been take, taken over. This was a failure by the Odyssey and its command crew in every step. Yep. The fourth, one of the oldest tricks in the book, they get bushwhacked. An incredibly well-laid plan because their only avenue of escape leads right into a minefield. The sensors didn't pick that up. As soon as they jumped out of the hyperspace, why not? The ship has got good sensors. We know that. This minefield has been around since season two, so it should be on a <laughs> yeah. the big red spot on the map. Stay away. Yeah. To be fair, the Lucian lines actually proved to be capable in this episode. I don't know if that was because it wasn't Natan leading the assault. <laughs> I know he's the leader of the Lucian lines, but... He's also paranoid, doesn't he? Yeah. He doesn't have many victories. He sends... Anateo. Anateo, that's it. Played by Rudolf Martin, who's wonderfully, wonderfully slimy. Gives him fangs. Yeah. And shoots people. Yes. Yep. Poor Colonel Emerson. I know he's commander and he's got to stand up for his crew, but maybe that wasn't the time. <laughs> I imagine I... Surprised you haven't mentioned you voting for this because there are a lot of very pretty outside shots, and I know you like pretty outside shots. I do, but pretty graphics do not make a movie or a TV episode. Or else I would probably be saying that Jupiter Ascending was the best movie ever made. <laughs> I like Jupiter Ascending. Well, I saw that the Honest Trailer got released this week, so I'll watch a movie so I can just watch the Honest Trailer. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, the Honest Trailer will do me. <laughs> yeah, when Cinema Sins do it, that'll mean the movies come of age. Yep. <laughs> Right then, Company of Thieves. It's a it's a good ship based episode, and of course we get the secondary B, bleep bleep or bleep or <laughs> the secondary B plot, where the rest of SG One are actually looking for it. So they kind of do go on a, a wild goose chase with Daniel as Valor's manservant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a bit of a laugh. Cameron filtrates the base. Cam Mitchell, bounty hunter. <laughs> Cameron convinces him he's onto a big payday. <laughs> <laughs> lots of double crossing, lots of confusion going around. Eventually, Tan ends up shooting pretty much everybody there is. Explosions, carnage, destruction. Sam fixes the Odyssey. Everybody escapes. Happy ending, except for poor Colonel Emerson. Who gets bounty hunted. Oh, no, not, not Emerson. Natan. Doesn't Natan get bounty hunted? No, he survives. He gets ship destroys Tinat on the other attack. Do you think that they'd just storm it and kill him and not destroy another ship? Yeah, you wouldn't have thought they'd have many shipbuilding facilities around. Yeah. Not to worry. That's probably why the Lucian Alliance never really became a major force. 
they went through ships like nobody's business. Right then, Company of Thieves. No votes. Uh-huh. The Quest. Did you release this as a single episode? One and two together. The Quest, part one and two, started airing on the 22nd of September. Part one written by Joseph Maloney and Paul Mully and directed by Andy Makita. And you will give me a moment. Part two, same writers and directors. You knew that. You just let me go through it, didn't you? It ain't difficult. You can't right-click on a tablet. Right, so we've got dragons and betrayals and balls. Oh, my. Do you want to call it a dragon? <laughs> Yo, yes, the dragon. <laughs> to be fair, Adria, uh, Rod Loomis playing Osric, the, the helpful librarian who turned out to be not quite so helpful, but a lot better looking as the episode went along. Yep. That makes you wonder why the ruse, why the ruse was needed. Could she not, uh, not do it herself, or she just wanted some red shirts to go ahead of her? I think Merlin had a direct hand in this. It was more reasonable to let Daniel go first. You know, she was always there. She was aware of what they were doing. She manipulated them quite well. Eventually, gave herself away with the ring. Yeah, I think I've got a sneak uh, suspicion there was some word dropped or something because she was an aura. She wouldn't have been allowed to access something as well. Let's not forget Bol. He he made the first <laughs> yeah. uh, trek towards the uh, mythical treasure. <laughs> he eventually got trapped in a force field. Oh well. So you have to deal what was in the chest. Yeah, mm. and Valor carries around a hairdryer. <laughs> a mains powered hairdryer. Mm. Yeah, good luck getting a 240 plug for that somewhere off world. Yeah, I'd love to see the adapter. American mains oh, powered hairdryer. Still more than enough to be lethal. You think you could send it back to Amazon saying the universal adapter does not work on planet X? To get to the cave, the um, yeah, the time dilation maze, and the the parchment of virtues. But the plot, the the plot demanded it. Yes, it did. Otherwise, this would have been a single episode and not a two-parter. Yeah, stretch it out. If you skip over a lot of the, the first part of the quest, we get the dragon. Eventually, we get Valor being really silly. Oh, running it and yelling yeah. at the name. Yes, the idea that the dragon would only be defeated if you knew its true name. Well, first they start throwing C4 at it. It swallows it. Yep. And does nothing. Fire-breathing dragon. I don't think an explosion's going to pop. <laughs> and since this isn't the Hobbit, there was no vulnerable spot either that you could uh... fire an arrow at. So when standing on one leg and singing third verse of the Hedgehog <laughs> cannot be buggered at all. Yeah, it's a million-to-one shot, and it ain't going to work in this universe. Eventually, they do find what they believe is a Sangral. Merlin is a little bit too clever for him. They get teleported off the planet to an undisclosed location with its own Stargate. And the Stargate is part of a closed-loop system which, at a set period of time, jumps them to another location. Ingenious. It yeah. really is. Yeah, Yeah, because they left out behind. Unfortunately, she is very powerful and she does start tracking them down. And it is only a matter of time. So even though they do find Merlin and they unthaw him, he's in pretty bad shape. He thinks they're Galahad and Lancelot. Yeah, it's been a few hundred. Yeah, where does Vala fit in that scenario? Uh, well, Guinevere was the dodgy one, wasn't she? Mm. She slept around a bit. She was a bit loose. Morgana, she was even worse. Needed to be a bit loose when you need a can opener to fill around. <laughs> Fancy a quickie. Well, I've got three hours. <laughs> Get the bolt cutters. Oh, yeah. It really, it really, it really interesting things at the town for play. And so the whole idea of needing lubricant is a totally different idea. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to stop this right there. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay, how many votes? No, we get build what you want, replicator thing. That is what science fiction is all about. Make whatever you want. Otherwise known as the thought control Lego kit. Yeah, fantastic visuals again. 
nothing special. It just worked very, very well. It was designed by Apple then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks great. <laughs> Looks great. Apparently walks, but will actually kill you. Yeah. Sounds like an Apple device, sorry. Also worth saying that the actual set they used for Merlin's little domain varied between what looked like a nice planet, a desert planet, a little tropical rainforest. They all look fantastic. I mean, they were exactly the same set. Yeah. Final battle sequence when Adria found him. That was brilliant. Bol got shot. Bol died. Yep. <laughs> Daniel does the whole Harry Potter bit without needing a wand, which yep. looked better than anything in Harry Potter. I've not <laughs> seen the seventh film yet, or possibly the sixth one. I, I know I've had the Blu-ray box set for some time, I just haven't got around to watching them. <laughs> so you, you don't know what happens to Dobby then? No. <laughs> Didn't that happen in the third episode, in the third movie? Or does he come back? I'm up to, I think, Goblet of Fire, possibly Order of the Phoenix. Right. I think the last Harry awesome. Potter I saw was when Voldemort was actually resurrected. That would gobble up fine then. Yeah, that's the last one I've seen in, in the theatres. And Rift Tracks are finally going to do the final movie. Both of them? Oh, they've done part one. They haven't done part two. I've been waiting for that for a long time. Right, back to the question. The, uh, unfortunately, Harry doesn't win this one. He gets taken with Voldemort <laughs> away somewhere. <laughs> Although, again, not that big a deal, you know, when Voldemort looks like that. No. Plus, this is Daniel Lazarus Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Death is a revolving door to Daniel Jackson. Worth mentioning that Matthew Walker, who played Merlin, he did get nominated for a Leo Award, Best Supporting Performance, for a male in the dramatic series. Again, didn't win it. For some reason, Stargate got nominated for quite a few awards this season. Didn't win him. Quest part one and two got five votes. Hmm. Episode 12, Line in the Sand. 1st of January the 16th, 2007. Written by Alan McCullough and directed by Peter DeLuise. And we get the return of Toman, playing by Tim Guinea. Aisha Hines, guest stars, as Thalanya. And, well, SG-1 tried to do the right thing and doesn't quite go according to plan. No, it's a little ambitious. Yeah. Yep. Let's make the entire village invisible. Oops. It's a nice idea. But it might have been a good idea to have this system fully tested before you deploy it in the field. And yep. get a Samantha shot. Oh, yeah. Quite surprising that they were firing energy weapons around Naquita generators. Normally not a good thing. Well, it's Though... the all right. They figure if they uh, die in the service to their gods, they will be raised up. Yeah. Whereas all the gods will do is register as a brief brownout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, everyone go, boom, there's one less planet to convert. It was a shame because the system actually was working. They did manage to cloak the village. I think it was Colonel Brecker who was at the Stargate, saw it disappear. He said something like, you know, I love this job. Mm. When the system goes down, the Ori are approaching, there's a big firefight. Some of the people, utter cowards, Tilk miraculously appears and nobody recognises him because he's wearing a hood. <laughs> Tilk lends in. The invisibility of the hood. <laughs> he's cowl. We get the Ori dropping a ring platform on the... Yeah, that that was good. You know, drop, drop, drop. Uh, fast moving ship drops a little ring platform. The soldiers start beaming down. Probably a more an easier to duplicate way of getting a lot of soldiers down rather than ships or the starship's main uh, transporters. Yeah, and that's it. It worked well for the guild. Yeah, probably operates independently as well. Troops can beam up and down without actually bothering with the ship. Yep. You know, Scotty'd be out of a job. <laughs> so would Miles. Well, we all know Miles really didn't do much. As, as I said, it was always there when somebody went to the transporter room. That's because he got a little message as people were approaching the door. <laughs> then he'd put his pina colada away in his, <laughs> you know, his trashy romance novel and just stand at attention. 
Yeah. That's why he always got those excellent performance reviews. <laughs> I can't imagine the other pina coladas on there. Strikes me more as a swift point to Guinness, man. <laughs> pina coladas sounded funny, though. True. And again, I've been watching Angel. And Barry Manilow features rather heavily in the early seasons. <laughs> I thought you were done with it. I thought you'd be on to Smile Time by now. Uh, I've just watched season season 5, episode 12. I'm not far away. You continue discussing this amongst yourselves. I'm refilling my liquid. Okay. Toman takes a lot of hostages and he executes them. Yeah. And then he, he starts to get some seeds of doubt in him as well prior. Yes, because Toman is willing to let the people that voluntarily gave up their weapons live. Yeah. You know, give them the benefit of the doubt, whereas the prior pretty much says, I've read this text in the Book of Origin. It says all doubters will <laughs> burn. Toman's read exactly the same text. To him, it says they will be given the benefit of the doubt if they bow down to Origin. Yeah. Mm, better late than never, I suppose. Tommin is looking things with an open mind. Although, I think that's mainly because he didn't want to kill Valor. Yeah, and we get the <laughs> the shot where seemingly everyone dies in a firefight, yet everyone returns later on and still alive. Yeah, that, let's not mention that. <laughs> you know, the continuity be damned, you know. Let's, yep. How many people died? We haven't got enough extras to have both. Okay, they didn't die. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Ori wipe out the village. But <laughs> nobody died. No. At least those after the battle. Valor is left looking around at total devastation after she's been back from the Ori ship to the planet. And we get the uh, shimmery effect and the village returns. Yes, returns around her. So while a lot of people died, a lot of people lived. Mm. Let's call it a draw. Yeah, and we even saved some of your buildings so you don't have to rebuild. <laughs> Line in the sand. It got five votes. Oh, interesting. More popular than we thought it would. Episode 13, The Road Not Taken. Original air date, 23rd of January 2007. Written Alan McCulloch and directed by Andy Makita. Sam's experimenting and it goes wrong. Oh, spectacular. Yes. Yes, uh, an experiment of Sam's went awry. I think had they got a season 11, they might have made this a two-parter because things wrapped up very, very quickly and there was very little explanation about what the bloody hell happened. Yes. Build up, build up, build up, build up, and then, oh crap, we're running long. Yeah. I think this episode would have walked with an extra 20 minutes tacked on. Well, I'm willing to accept that when Sam went to uh, President Landry to beg for help to get back to her uh, reality, she wore that black dress again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ah, yes, the the classic LBD. You know, the question is, is an LBD a WMD? (laughs) Dr. Lee was hilarious, as always. (laughs) We get Rodney. Yeah, you might stand on her. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Again. Uh, oh, or invisible. Yeah. Well, it was two yeah, weeks old talking wave, to her. Waving the hand around. Now, of course, we learned that in this reality, Sam did, in fact, marry Rodney. They did get divorced. <laughs> Eventually thought that it was because she was gay. It's an old joke, and it's probably getting a little bit <laughs> used too often these days to be as humorous as it used to be. It was nice to see Rodney as a decent guy. As Steve Jobs. Uh, probably wouldn't go that far. Although he was he was a little upset when he kind of got drafted at the end to, to help out Sam. <laughs> anyway, Sam, in this other reality, uh, the president is living at Giant Mountain. They've got their own little level, presidential seal. Yeah, we brought that up on the episode record. Why have, a, why have your uh, president at the most risky facility? They're always trying to blow it up and you want to live there. Well, I suppose, as we learn... America and the world is a very different place. They use their F-302s to bomb Ireland. 
That's all right. We won't care. Don't That'll care teach that. him to vote yes. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I were eating something noisy, so I hit mute. And the Prometheus is uh, in orbit as Air Force One. Yeah. The U.S. military are attacking civilian targets on Earth to support the president. This world is very different. Cameron Mitchell is in it. He was a hero of uh, the U.S. Air Force. Mm. Unfortunately, when he stopped playing the, the good soldier, pretty much abandoned all his medical needs. So at this point, he still can't use his legs. He's in a wheelchair. That was an interesting scene. Yeah. Smoking as well. Yep. And drinking from whiskey. Jack Daniels is memory service. Sam is pretty much being put under the same pressure. They want her to be the kind of the spokesperson, the mascot for presidential campaign that's upcoming. She's willing to play the ball until she gets in front of a camera, whereas they did demonstrate <laughs> how tight a control on media they do have. Yep. And you've got to be impressed with their version of the internet, which is basically text. <laughs> <laughs> a few years behind. It's ARPANET. Sam does perfect her cloaking technology or at least gets uh, it working just this once. The entire energy generation of the US goes into powering the, the phasing technology. The little tiny device yeah. that's <laughs> going to make the entire world disappear or phase it. Well, you turned it up to 11. That's all yeah. that was required. <laughs> yeah, well, just because they happened to use my nickname to disappear the world. Unfortunately, <laughs> you feel sorry for the Ori because you're thinking, surely, guys, the planet was there. It's not there. Guess what? It's still there. You just can't see it. Yeah. They didn't do the classic, appreciate the fact they have enough respect for the audience that they didn't do the Oro ship fires at planet, planet disappears, other Oro ship is positioned precisely opposite and gets <laughs> oh, hit. Oh, God. But they could have done that, but their respect was not enough, enough not to. They could have done every Oro ship. That's a trope <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, surely you'd think that'd have something in place. One ship can't take it, another with a single hit. Probably, yeah. Well, given the Just power of those guns, you have to understand that since the R.I. is a completely sort of fanatical and mind-reading fellowship, it's not as if they're afraid that they're going to turn their own ships against them. That is true. And you need a pride flight. Oh, we haven't mentioned that Don S. Davis makes his appearance in this episode as well. Final appearance? I think it could be, couldn't it? Offhand, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it must be. And Julia Donovan... The reporter that we've seen in a couple of earlier episodes, uh, played by Kendall Cross, she also makes a guest appearance, so they were pulling on the in-house continuity as well. That always, always pays off for Stargate. Yeah. Sam does get home. That whole how is glossed over. And there's Dr. Lee with his little uh, microphone <laughs> and headphones on. And Sam comes back in a kind of big bang and it nearly blows his eardrums out. <laughs> yeah. Poor Dr. Lee. The road not taken. Two votes. Normally, when they do these altered universe episodes, they're, uh, they're not too bad. It's always enjoyable to see the team in different situations, stuff like that. This is my second choice for two reasons. Mostly the cut-off, the fact that the episode felt foreshortened and it just couldn't compete with 200. But I, as I think I said to you at the time, I love alternate universe. Straczynski's bullet points, Gaiman's Marvel 1602. Come Moving on. The Shroud, where Daniel gets re-priority. I had a nice pun there. It makes it so much easier for me to edit if I know how it, each one's structured. Air date, January 30th, 2007. Story by Robert C. Cooper and Brad White. Directed by Robert C. Cooper. Uh, written by Robert C. Cooper. Directed by Andy Makita. The story by line threw me. So I was going to say, it's a good one. Dan gets re-prioritised. Oh, I told you it were a good pun. <laughs> Not bad at all. Worth waiting for. 
Right, Daniel's been missing these last few episodes. You wouldn't notice, because they've already mentioned him. No, uh, where, where, weren't he being a father? Uh, yes, at the time. But Michael was, but Daniel. Daniel were playing happy families with Adri. <laughs> yes, because he comes back as a, as a prior. But instead of threatening everybody, he's doing probably doing what the Ori prize was supposed to. Coming in with the reasoned argument, friendliness, openness, convincing people that origin is the way. And as he says it himself, it was a bad time when they finally get kidnapped or rescued, depending upon your point of view. Yeah, he wasn't sort of infecting. Infecting? I, I think my brain tried to simultaneously say inflicting and infecting. And so I came up with infecting. Daniel is captured. The SGC, the IOA don't trust him. He gets uh, strapped down into a chair and interrogated. And we uh, get a bit of the backstory of what he's been doing. He's been basically smoozing Adria up to a point where she actually believes he's fallen for her line in origin. And she makes him a prior. Mm. And he convinces her that he can build the Sangral, can use it to destroy the ancients as opposed to the Ori, and everybody will live happily ever after. Yeah, like that's going to happen. Yep. I heard an Australian tinge say, so I'm assuming Brad was back. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting one to turn turn him into a prior and sort of go down this route with him, but I suppose it's the only way to uh, get the device built, get it through to the Ori galaxy. Well, that's it. We get Daniel basically playing two parts here. He's got the face that he's presenting to Adria. Let me build this for you. It will destroy the Ancients, original Reign Supreme. And then he's got the face he's given to the SGC and the IOA. Let me build this. With Adria's help, we can get it through the Superstar Gate into the Ori Galaxy, destroy the Ori. Right through, you're never quite sure. Obviously, it's Daniel Jackson. And we've got episodes to code. <laughs> it's not going to be a bad guy. But right up to the point, you're not quite sure what his endgame is. And we get each member of the team coming and talking to him. And I don't think any of them truly, truly trust him. Even Valor. And when she's sitting on his knee in her pigtails and little <laughs> boots, you know, kicking back and forth, it's beautiful. It's delightful seeing. But even then, I don't think she truly trusts him. No, and it all, it all hinges on them shutting down the super gate. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah, which um took so much to get it going to start with. Yeah. I don't know how they can just simply turn it off when it's been powered by a black hole. We've seen that that doesn't happen in the past. They can do it. That's the thing, though. I mean, I assume they have to shut it down in order to dial out the other way. Yeah. Daniel is under the control of uh, the device that presses his powers. He over- overrides it, breaks out. Oh, no, Daniel. What are you doing, Daniel? Don't do it, Daniel. And, oh... He's, he's got Adria. Well done, Daniel. A woman's scorned, to say the least. <laughs> She's not going to be very happy when she finally wakes up after the Ori starship gets sent through the Supergate. Never quite sure if the Ori are killed. We don't know yet. That's a big question mark. Still a big question mark. They don't shut the gate in the Pegasus down. They put a Mark 9 gate buster behind and blow it up. And that's ever the connection. Ah, oh, there we go. Ridiculous, isn't it? When did we watch this episode? <laughs> Only been about, what, three months ago? Yeah. I did to do it, I'm not quite sure. It's been a busy three months. Right. To valid to uh, assemble the device. There's always a widget left over. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel is his old self again. Oh, could this have worked? Then the Supergate <laughs> starts dialing. Oh, dear me. You have and stood many, the anthill. Quite many ships come through. <laughs> Excellent Michael Shanks episode. I love the interaction with him and the regular cast members. Woolsey is brilliant with him. Richard Dean Anderson, again, good episode to have him return. 
And this is the episode I voted for. Would have been my number two. I'm actually very surprised, Michael, you didn't vote for the next episode. Well, the Shroud eventually got four votes. Hi, I'm Nuke Chas, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We more like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. Do you ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Antagonist. Not really a guest. Nutty Bites. Nimlast.org. Okay, episode 15. Bounty. This episode aired February the 6th, 2007, written by Damien Kindler and directed by Peter DeLuise. You know it was Peter DeLuise because of all the little Peter DeLuise posters dotted around (laughs) high school. (laughs) Also, his wife. And Marie Deloise guest stars as Amy Vandenberg, a flame of young Cameron, even though they never officially dated when he was in high school. Everybody was too nervous to ask everybody out, everybody yep. else out. That's teenage years for you. <laughs> SG1 go on a little smash and grab, destroy Kata transport. Natan, once again, is furious. <laughs> and he sends a load of bounty hunters to take out SG1 because they've been tagged by kind of a radiation on the, the Alkesh. And so uh, the intergalactic bounty hunters go hunting Tilt, who's uh, off-world. For some reason, Valor and Cameron go to his high school reunion. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Sam is... Ah, uh, yes, with the uh, ray gun. With a ray gun that's powered by an, a little mini Naquita generator. <laughs> Dr. Lee's been building, so that does not... <laughs> that's not supposed to work. They've got to show him something. Say what you like about Sam's little back dress. Valor, in those days, you do... Uh, yes, that was impressive. Which is why I'm surprised you didn't vote for this one. And we get... This one nearly got my vote for that thing alone. Well, when she sat on the table, uh, Cameron's mate just looked down and went, oh, dear me. Yeah. <laughs> Blood supply to brain, zero. <laughs> also, another excellent guest star, Mike Dopu, made an appearance as Odan Vantrell, one of the bounty hunters. Daniel, he goes to a library. A library! <laughs> and Jodie Thompson guest stars as a female assassin. Makes a play for him, tries to woo him out to a nice quiet area, you know, for a little bit. But uh, <laughs> no, not Daniel. Not Daniel. He's got his book. Yep. He's happy, thank you. So she opens up in the library. And she destroys books. I know. That must have really annoyed Daniel. That's why he basically set her up to be run over by a bus. <laughs> that couldn't have been a coincidence. He must have been planning that, surely. Oh, come on. That At that point, they descended into slapstick. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's face it. You, you've got Valor doing the whole... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we've known each other a long time, you know, we've not been dating, you know, Cameron, oh, you must be so proud of him, like, Cameron's daddy, he is quite proud, oh, sex everywhere, sex everywhere, all the time. <laughs> Cameron's mum, oh, yes, dear, I grew up in the 60s, don't worry, we'll have a talk later. <laughs> Cameron's face, oh, good uh, God, what have I done? <laughs> yes, you don't want to hear that from your parents, ever. <laughs> I gotta wonder what the rate of people being hit by buses fatally is in the US. It's pretty high. It seems to be pretty high. Yeah, it doesn't it, yeah. I'm going to check that out on TV tropes afterwards. <laughs> well, bus drivers have been fired for not stopping when there's been someone clearly in front of them. My handbook says I only have to stop when somebody puts a hand out. If you're yeah. in a town, you shouldn't be going at a speed that you can't stop. No. I know there's and, a truck driver. 
while we're on the subject of technology, Bill's little laser weapon. I find it odd that they're all sitting there looking at this thing as being a laser weapon. Did anyone not say, well, what's that? What's the power source? <laughs> we haven't seen that either. It's the gun that fails, not the power source. Inbuilt compartment that have a 9-volt battery in it. To light it up. Say it's a hydrogen power cell. That technology is coming on, you know, pass that off. Okay. I say The Bounty is a very good episode. It's a big episode, all things considered. You've got Tilkoff World. Daniel's got his own location. Sam and Dr. Lee are at convention-type area where Dr. Lee's... Dr. Lee got some. He was the star of the show there. Mm-hmm. Yep. He had his own little party of cheerleaders. <laughs> I mean, he was having the time of his life. Although it's a bit... It doesn't do your ego any good when the device you've built fails and Sam fixes it in 30 seconds. <laughs> Luckily for her, she was showing off her hologram technology. Yeah. <laughs> Sam would be no more. Yeah. Oh, and Valor was having the time of her life with... Cameron's mate, Daryl. <laughs> he was hanging on there like a little puppy dog. Even when he went to kiss her, she said, I'm married. <laughs> oh, the poor sod. She's lounging in him. She's got her legs up, a lot of legs showing, plenty of skin everywhere. Going through his pockets and everything, he didn't know what to do. And he got beat up as well. And she outshot him. Yep. <laughs> nice. And also, um, the assassin that went after Nathan, Nathan re- Ventrell, yeah. reminded me of... Your man, did you say he was the guy who played Flash Gordon in the original movie? That was a different... Yeah, I know, but he reminded me of him. No, Mike Dope, he eventually turned up in Stargate Universe. I realised it was a different actor and a different character. It was just, I felt there were certain traits which they shared between him and you're on that planet when it was the back in season six. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out why you think he looks like Sam Jones, that's all. I don't think he looks like him. I think the characters are similar. Oh, okay. As Alan was saying, Natan finally got his. They've got some great quotable lines in here too. Pretty much anything that Val is saying to any of the, any of the locals is great. <laughs> we get a Scooby-Doo quote. Jackson's Ventrell. Uh, and you might have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for us meddling kids. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good episode. Yeah. It's only got one vote though. Uh. It almost got a vote for me, but it wouldn't have helped. Come okay. Bad guys. Air date February 13th, 2007. Story by Martin Garrow and Ben Browder. Really? Written by Martin Garrow. Directed by Peter DeLuise. So this is Ben's idea? Story ideas get cut up and then little bits put into another one. Slightly out of character Daniel Jackson. You're hostages. There's <laughs> rules. <laughs> he, got, he goes from sort of reasonable, calm, literary sort of library geek type guy to mildly frothing madman. He was having a bad day. And bless him, that guard. Well-intentioned, but just <laughs> the guy from West Wing. Joshua Molina. I can never remember how to pronounce his surname. This episode started out so well, though. You know, they go through the Stargate. They find themselves in what looks like some sort of temple. Turns out to be a museum. Okay, let's get out of here. The DHD is only a, a display device. <laughs> oh, dear. Bala, let's go to the party. No, we're not going to the party. And then... A couple of lovebirds decide to creep off into... The party comes to them. Yeah, exactly. And then the screaming starts. And the shooting starts. Rebels. Yeah, and the alarms go off and the gates come down. And Oh, dear me. <laughs> Escalate quickly. It does indeed. Yes. As I said, it's a die-hard episode, you know. You've got the lone hero trying to save the day who totally screws up everything. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he is the hero. This is a very regimented society. It looks a bit totalitarian. And for the look of things, 
They're not going to say aliens visited the planet. They're not going to talk about the Stargate. Terrorist. Yeah. Hero. Is that okay with you, Mr. Saran? And he goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that's how it's early. They make the Janai look like Bambi, for God's sake. <laughs> I think if you're part of the system, you get a decent life. Because none of those people look like they were, you know, a scarcity of food or, you know, luxuries. No, because the people who are, and who are probably in the majority, wouldn't be at that party. That is true. They would be turning up a bit later to clean the place up. Mm-hmm. And eat any and food another, that were left. <laughs> it's another Where's the Mouth episode. The mouth would have mm. solved all this. I think they've been going through quite a few mouths, and the mouth budget's gone to building additional ships to get blown up by the first hour of engagement. Yeah, true. Going all the way back to Tournament Tantalus, Jack Ark's Cutter, isn't this what the mouth's for? And yeah. <laughs> well, we've seen it, we just didn't see what condition it was in. Yes, well, they, they obviously didn't check in to see what condition the condition was in. Yes. Right, bad guys. Highlight of this was uh, the two guest stars, Joshua Molina and Ron Canada. Ron Canada was playing Quartus, Canada hostage negotiator. He's the one that finally concocts a story that makes the security guard the hero. If, if it weren't for him, then SG-1 certainly would not have been going home. No. His security people came through doors which I'm sure did not exist. Anyway, not regarded as one of the better episodes of Stargate SG-1. Note, I say the whole series, not just this season. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to note that over 20 minutes of unused footage, so I would love to see mm. you know, a rough cut of this that used pretty much everything they filmed. Yeah, Not good, but interesting. Good, they read the prop wardrobe and got a lot of the old Gould stuff out and... The premises and they were looking for the Clavia Thesaurus Infinitus, yeah. another mysterious hoard of treasure. Let me get a call back with the uh, neck of the bomb. What are you doing? It's a bomb. It's a bomb. <laughs> I've armed it. What? <laughs> oh, she was able to break in and get it. Yeah, in her backpack, she's got glass cutters and <laughs> suction cups and a hairdryer. Apparently, keeps her quite a lot in there. <laughs> right, bad guys. It did get a vote. Oh yeah. Yep. A vote? A vote. One vote. Contraya! Talon. So, 10. No, it's not. It's episode 17. Uh, <laughs> original air date, February 20, 2007. Uh, written by Damien Kindler and directed by Andy Makita. Chip's going on another <laughs> revenge mission after the bombing of a... Some of the leaders of the Free Jafar. We're going to have a chat about the status of the Ori offensive. Yep. And unfortunately, they kind of got betrayed by one of their own. Everybody except... Dilk got blew up. Big explosion. Very, very big explosion. <laughs> yeah, how the hell did he survive that? Well, he wasn't in the tent at the time. And the great thing about a tent is that there's not that much debris. <laughs> yeah. In a stone structure, then maybe different. More concussive wave, though. Yeah. He was seriously hurt. You know, he, it's not as yeah. if he didn't have a scratch. Yeah, he was... It, the amazing thing is Braytac survived. <laughs> <laughs> at least they did wrap him up in bandages and put him in a bed for a while. But Tilk is on a mission. The SGC, the IOA, they're not going to sanction uh, a revenge mission, even though they've got a good idea that the guy behind it, Arcad, played by the British actor Craig Fairbrass, is behind it. Things get complicated when he actually contacts the SGC, actually says, leave me alone, we'll be friends, even though the grapevine indicates that he's got a secret plan to destroy the Earth. In less than 14 hours? <laughs> Ticking clock. I don't think they gave him that precise a deadline. We're not back to Flash Gordon. <laughs> he tracks down Bacal, identifies him as the bomber, ties him up, <laughs> puts him on a big rock with a bunch of explosives underneath him, interrogates him, and, well, blows him up. Walk away <laughs> explosion. Excellent. 
the idea that they're going to play along, they're going to let Arkad do what he wants, that has never worked in the history of the human race. <laughs> no. You don't bow down, you don't capitulate to a madman. IOA once again shows they... Oh, dear. Yeah, they should not be in charge. No. They shoot him in the back, they shoot him in the side, they drop a few grenades on him, they hit him a few times, and he's dragged before Arkad, who has been practising his sword fighting. Yeah. Till gets a crap beat out of him again. And stabbed. Yeah, oh, oh, this is bloody. Yep. It is brutal, it is gruesome, it's probably the most graphic one-on-one combat in the entire series. If you're talking about things that you wouldn't want kids to be seeing, it's not the nudity in the pilot, it's this fight. Yep. And the beauty of it, right at the end, Arkad is killed by Tilt. Tilt gets his revenge, not only for the bombing of the council, but it turns out that Arkad actually killed Tilt's mother. Kept that quiet, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's been hidden for a while. <laughs> Cameron's report. <laughs> Arkad was going to blow the earth up. Tilt helped us out. Yep. <laughs> Let's not worry about everything else. Bloody good episode this was. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, no votes. Come try ya! Episode 18. Family Ties. First heard February the 27th, written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, directed by Peter DeLuise. And we get pretty fine guest star Fred Willard playing JSEC, Valor's father, <laughs> who is an intergalactic con man. <laughs> it all fits. <laughs> the apple actually bounced off the trunk of the bloody tree. Information about at least one missing cargo ship pulled with Naquita. He provides the information in return for sanctuary on the planet. Everybody agrees. It seems to be working reasonably well until... Until they turn the TV <laughs> on, yeah. <laughs> Real Stardust. thirty nine ninety five plus package and posting. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he's also running a bingo game out of his apartment. Yeah. Another fun episode. Maybe not a great episode. We did learn a lot about Valor. It was underlined that she is not this total carefree, money-or-nothing character. She loved her father. She felt betrayed by him. She even said all the trinkets she used to bring back, she'd got rid of them. At the end of the day, the only thing she does keep are those trinkets. Yeah, they do full double cross on him, but he's got common lead. And fertility drugs, <laughs> which somehow he manages to offload straight away. Didn't he offload it onto that pair of aliens we saw in the race? We've never met his contact who was there to buy the Naquita before. Whatever the hell it was, cheesy poofs or whatever. <laughs> That shows you exactly how good a salesman the guy is. Yeah. Right on the spot. Oh, he comes out ahead. And of course, we get to the final scene. He gave Tilt some tickets to see the vagina monologues. <laughs> Tilt goes in this big... Oh, that's right. <laughs> ...beanie hat on covering his emblem, all ready to uh, enjoy this night of theatre. And then, for some reason, Tilt is uncomfortable about women talking about vaginas. <laughs> he goes from six foot to Sinks four into four. the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make himself look as small as possible, yeah. as if... Every woman hasn't noticed there's a man in the room. <laughs> a fun episode. Again, not a great episode, but it had its moments. I think the biggest issue is where it come in the schedule. We saw those Aurora ships come through to Stargate. We don't know what they're doing, but we're going to spend some time covering Bala's backstory when we should have done that back when she was introduced in season nine. Yeah. You, what the hell happened? Yeah. And then, okay, yeah, you want to lighten things up a bit. But this is episode 18 of 20 in the final season. Of, okay, it's yeah. season one. It doesn't fit in. They must have known that Ark of Truth was getting greenlit, so they know, right, we can wind things up there. Let's, we've got this one story that's been in the bag for a while. And... Uh, we got Colonel Davidson uh, in this episode, played by Fulvio Ciceri. And this was the last episode for Dr. Lee, Bill Dow. Uh, unfortunately, Family Ties did not get any votes. Indeed not. 
Come try ya! Next episode, Dominion. Aired March 6, 2007. Story by Alex Levine, written by Alan McCullough. Directed by William Waring. Adria is no longer available. <laughs> I would have put a quote, Adria is not home anymore. But that's just me. Adria gets double-crossed by Ball. There's a shock. Wait. Uh, Adria gets double crossed by everybody. Yeah. We get double crossed too. The whole episode opens up with with Valor seemingly on the run, trying to cheat away into a cargo ship. You're thinking, what's going on here? Yeah. We get the whole story when Adria makes a reappearance. Pretty spectacular entrance, spectacular costume. As we said at the time, the costume department really went to town to make Adria look fantastic. They did a great job. Mother and daughter reunited. The whole sorry tale comes out that. It to sew down cloaking device and did a runner, mm-hmm. and Adria believe it, believes her. I have to say, I'm still convinced that the inclusion of the word Wonko was an ad lib by Claudia. I can't imagine that anyone consciously wrote Wonko in a script. Adria believed that was being taken to a planet where she'd get ancient technology, but it was a trap. Even Valor was surprised. Yep. And then, as we said, Bal <laughs> surprised everybody. Bal's got hold of Adria. Valor's returns to the SGC, learns about the the memory device from a recording that she made herself. Very total recall. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hilarious, fantastic. Well and worth we watching. Tokra back. Oh, yeah. Jonathan Walker. Just when you thought they were dead. Bal, he wants access to her army. And Adria, well, I'm not going to give it to you. Oh, you will. Meet my little friend. Say hello to my little friend. Bal clone symbiote. Mm-hmm. They've got the cloaking technology. They come up against Bal ship. Phenomenal visuals. They beam on board. Bal gets shot, Bal dies again. <laughs> well, this one does. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Adria's already been implanted. Mm. Bal's inside Adria, and not in a good way. What are they going to do now? Mm. Is that what we left it? No, there's more to go. Can you remember what happened next? No, it was only two weeks ago. <laughs> Valor and Adria have a, a little touching moment. Unfortunately, Adria is more in control of her power. She is ascending. Yeah. Her brain activity is accelerating. She full power telekinesis back. She slings a toker against a wall. Dan Shea gets thrown against the wall, gets knocked out for a few seconds, literally gets knocked <laughs> unconscious for a few seconds. Death and carnage. We see Valor as she watches a daughter ascend. And that is a whole new ball game. Mm-hmm. Either she's an ancient with all the powers that brings with it, but with the ability to intervene, or she's becoming all right with an entire galaxy's worth of devoted followers. Yeah, she confirms that the weapon worked. So, how many votes? It did not get any votes. Hmm. Right then, who wants to do the final episode? I'll do it. It nearly felt like a final episode. It wasn't, because we had episode 20, unending. Uh, original air date March 13th, 2007. Written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Robert C. Cooper. The last episode. We uh, spend a lifetime aboard the Odyssey. Yes, out of the blue, the Asgard... As a race, decide to commit suicide. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to blow up our planet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were fine last year, but this year, no, we've given up. Sod it. Yeah. <laughs> we thought about building robot bodies, but nah. It makes you wonder if there's a couple of ships leaving in the opposite direction while they're distracted now. We're not going along with this. <laughs> Sod this. <laughs> Sorry for you. We had a vote. You. I didn't vote for it. <laughs> the Asgard gift the human race, the fifth race. Everything. Every piece of technology, their entire database. This is the best gift ever. Unfortunately, the gift seems to attract the aura. I'm not quite sure why, but okay, we'll go with it. They destroy one, another one fires, and Sam 
manipulates time dilation of ice and freezes time outside of the Odyssey. Billion jewel energy bolt a few yards of the starboard bow. Slowly getting closer. Yeah. There's energy bolts on the starboard bow. Starboard bow. <laughs> We've got Landry, Valor, Daniel, Tilk, Sam, and Cameron on board the Odyssey. And, well, yes, they've got a replicator, food, materials, not a problem. Is it like the Martian and they've only got 80s television and disco? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you do see Valor with the roller boots. It's frightening. Xanadu bursting out through the speakers of the ship. (laughs) You know, after two or three years, you want to commit to each side yourself. Yeah, well, that's it. We get a couple of scenes like that where they start losing the plot with Cameron. Cameron trashes his room and moves to another room, trashes that room and moves to another room. We get a fantastic scene between Valor and Daniel. Mm. Well, we start off with Valor, a bit restless, you know, maybe an itch you can't scratch. Goes to Daniel's room with a little pink nighty and fairy handcuffs. He just stares at her, she's out and closes the door. (laughs) You've got to love that. And then when she kind of goes for the the one-on-one chat with him and Daniel kind of lets go of maybe, what, seven years or so emotional baggage ever since his wife died yeah he really ripped into her i mean that was super harsh it was nasty at times but at the end of the day you know after all this you you can see what he's saying he just doesn't present it in a manner that takes any consideration of her feelings yeah yet when all said and done there is no question he does like her Mm -hmm. there could be something there he just cannot allow himself to even consider it he does then he does eventually yeah but it took being stranded on a ship possibly for the rest of your life to do it. Mm. This would never have happened if they'd have carried on living on base. I think if it had worked with her for a decade, it still would never have happened. Because I think this also forced Valor to face her own feelings for Daniel. It's always been playful. Now she got more serious. Of course, then we get the full montages. We get uh, Creedence Clearwater revivals. Uh, have you ever seen the rain? Great yep. piece of music for the montages. We get that. Very, very short scene of Valor crying in Daniel's arms, which we mentioned what we thought it was in in our episode. It Mm. could be something different. Mm. Landry's happy with his green thumb, making all his uh, plants. Sam is busy just trying to figure a way out and learning Mm. the cello. It's just an interesting episode. It's a Mm. touching episode, purely a character piece. It's something they couldn't have done if I think they didn't have the movie. So I think they just went, you know what, screw it. This is yeah. our last episode. We don't have to advance any plot. We're not going to get anything after this. So we're going to do something we want to bloody do. Yeah. The sad thing is, unlike some shows, some modern shows, and you're looking at them running seven, eight, nine years, and you're thinking, oh, just end it now. It stopped being good three years ago. <laughs> and if someone had said to me, you know, in season four, oh, we're going we're gonna to promote Jack up, and we're going to put someone else in charge of SG-1, you'd be thinking, that couldn't possibly work. The finale worked. We saw General Landry pass. Yeah. We saw each character getting older. Tilt got a little bit more distinguished. <laughs> a little <Yeah>. more grey. <laughs> a little more grey. And, of course, we get the uber time travel manipulation event that Sam finally comes up with. Mm-hmm. Use the energy of the ORI weapon to power the time dilation device to reverse time. And Tilk, within his own little force field, would not be affected. And he would, at the critical moment, stop Sam from using the time dilation device, choosing a different path, and everything would work out fine. And it did. At the end, we get the fantastic, the fantastic scene with everybody there to the gate, waiting to embark. Tilk's just grinning because he knows so much. Yeah. And he's not talking. And everybody, indeed. (laughs) 
I presume they decided to just keep the ship on Earth then. Cameron's comment about this is how you travel to other planets. No, I think that was because it's Joey Stargate, yeah. it's not Star Trek. There's a lot of um, controversy when the ships first come in. They'll get away from the gate more and sort of pawn it back there now. The likelihood is that the Odyssey, or at least the uh, the Asgard core, was either disengaged and situated maybe Area 51 or something. Well, that's, yeah. It should not be on a ship flying around the galaxy. Definitely not. By all means, keep the weapons, keep the shields, keep the power generation systems. In fact, build a whole new design around this technology. That central database, keep it safe. Mm. Keep it where, if you lose the planet, it doesn't matter anymore. Or you have a replicator. Replicate the the core. (laughs) Right then, unending. It got eight votes. And that's it for season 10. Wrap-up show's all done. Our coverage of Stargate SG-1 is done. We have got one final wrap-up show to do where we'll look back at the whole series. That will be later this year. Much later. (laughs) Much later. Who knows, we might do a retrospective of one or two episodes, especially the early ones, bonus episodes. I I make no promises, but I've always looked at the earlier episodes and thought we could do better. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. (laughs) What is it we kept calling Donis Davis? Call him Donis Davis. What do you call him? No, uh, at the beginning we didn't. We got the surname wrong. Did we? Yeah. You sure? Season one, probably first couple of episodes. Which I wasn't on. No, 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 no. Some episodes you were on. I wouldn't get Don S. Davis's name wrong. <laughs> In fairness. I tell you what, Alan, you listen to the episodes and where you find me saying something other than Don S. Davis, you give me the times and I'll go in, I'll edit them and change them. What? You can't... Oh, yes, when you have to actually do something. You can't retcon. <laughs> you think you want to bet? <laughs> you have the original audio files. I'll work with a low bitrate MP3 if necessary. Okay, a little bit of trivia now for SG-1 Season 10. The DVD was released on Region 1, July the 24th, 2007. Region 2, December the 3rd, 2007, and Region 4, August the 23rd, 2007. We in the Region 2 market also got Season 10 across five volumes. Ooh. <laughs> By that time, I was not buying the volumes. Mm. Although, oh, was I? Oh, I could have done, actually. <laughs> I think I did, right to the end. It was uh, Atlantis, which I was buying the box sets. Yep. Okay, our poll. I'm very disappointed that SG-1 poll didn't get more votes than the Atlantis poll. I thought mm. it would. Only got 48 votes. Thank you to everybody that voted. The number one episode was 200, with 21% of the votes. Number two, Unending, with 17%. And number three, The Pegasus Project, with 13%. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Right then, folks. Thank you very much for joining us for this adventure with Stargate SG-1. Next week, we will be covering Stargate Atlantis Season 4, Adrift, the season premiere. On the next Stargate Atlantis. We'll have maybe 30 hours before the shields fail and we all die in the vacuum of space. Adrift in space, losing hope. We don't clear a path through the city. It'll get ripped apart. Shepard is forced to take incredible risks. Fire at will. To give his team any hope for survival. I know it's dangerous. It's the only viable option we have or die. On the next Stargate Atlantis. Should be fun. Hope you can join us for that. But until then... I've been Mike. I've been Alan. And I've been Brad. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.